When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor from Radio Times and this is View From My Sofa, the podcast where every week I sit down with the stars of TV to talk about all things telly. What do they watch? Where do they watch? And who do they watch with? Expect fascinating insights into my celebrity guests' TV habits. What shows do they binge? What do they snack on? What do they loathe? And who really controls the remote on their sofa? This week's guest is Letitia Wright, who went from Holby City to Hollywood after landing a leading role in the Black Panther franchise. The South London Star's TV credits also include Top Boy, Small Axe and Black Mirror. But it was after breaking into the Marvel franchise that Wright established herself in the top tier on both sides of the Atlantic. In this episode, Letitia joins me from LA and talks about the importance of equality on screen, her new film, The Silent Twins, and why she had to ditch her backup plan. Letitia, welcome to View From My Sofa. Thank you. Can you talk me through your living room setup? What is the view from your sofa? (laughs) I am um, in a hotel. I can see a picture of Marilyn Monroe and um, a coffee set and views of the Hollywood Hills. Oh, amazing. What have you been enjoying watching most recently on telly? Uh, Snowfall with Damson Idris. It's about this young kid back in the day where he basically becomes one of the biggest drug dealers in his neighbourhood. It's kind of cool. I went back and watched that on BBC iPlayer and completely yeah. forgotten what it was called. And I watched the first yeah. episode of the first series because I think the fifth series or something had done a repeat. Oh my gosh, it was yeah. amazing. It's really good. Damson is amazing in it. And gorgeous, like, L.A. kind of vibes, you know? Yeah. What genre of TV do you most like to watch? Are you into drama, comedy, true crime, fantasy? I like I like some drama. Your Killing Eves, your Homelands, Breaking Bad. I like stuff that just... I like seeing the character being a bit of a mess. Is there anything that you loathe watching, something that when it comes on you think, oh no, that's just not for me, or a genre that just isn't really for you? Uh, horror. <laughs> <laughs> I hate I hate it with a passion. It's that fear and that constant like, well, please don't. I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to be able to sleep at night. 
Exactly. Okay, so I'm going to ask you quick fire questions. And then if you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. So the first one, when you're watching telly, are you into running commentary or silent watching? <laughs> silent watching. Do you have a guilty pleasure TV? Yeah, like um, Adventure Time. <laughs> Snack of choice when watching TV? Uh, sweet popcorn. Drink of choice when watching TV? Um, drink of choice, apple juice. And socks or slippers? <laughs> Both. Double comfort. Favourite person to watch TV with? Uh, Favourite person to watch TV with? I have a few, but I like watching TV with my mum. Always the best TV companion. <laughs> Always. I'd like to take it back to your childhood now. And you moved to London when you were seven years old. What is your first TV memory? Mm, Desmond's. What's that? Exactly. How could you not know what Desmond's is? Wow. Where are you from? I'm from London too. Ooh. Terrible. Terrible. Desmond's is one of the most classic TV shows. It's just as classic as Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but for Britain. I can't believe I don't know this. Especially South London, Britain, like, gotta know Desmond's. I can't believe I missed that. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an easier one. Tracy Beaker. <laughs> um, in a minute, I'm going to play you a music quiz. And now it's going to seem like it's been doctored. But it's good that you that we can have a shared love of Tracy Beaker because that was <laughs> my entire childhood was watching yeah. that and having an attitude because of her. <laughs> Tracy Beaker, oh God. Was TV watching a family affair and what did the view from your sofa look like whilst you were growing up? X Factor, Americans got American Idol and Britain's Got Talent in a row. Oh my gosh, amazing. All of the Saturday night classics. What were you like as a child and what kind of TV shows and films most impacted you in your childhood and teenage years? I was quite fun as a kid. Sometimes quiet, sometimes extroverted. TV was like, yeah, escapism. And, you know, I watched the classic stuff, Fresh Prince, Desmond's that you still need to learn about. Um, <laughs> Tracy Beaker, like, I just use TV to kind of like, yeah, escape a little bit. When did you first aspire to become an actress? When I was about 15, 16, I really wanted to take it seriously. Um, I watched Kiki Palmer and Akilah and the Bee and I was just like, I want to do what she does. And I did it. Were you into acting at school? Did you do a lot of drama? Yes, I started acting at the tender age of 12. I saw my acting, my first acting teacher. And um, she came to my birthday celebration like two weeks ago. And um, I got to tell my friends and family that she was the reason why I started acting. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Was she just really inspirational? Oh my God, she went and did a speech and everything. She's still a teacher at the same school. She has kids and she nearly made me like cry my makeup off. Oh my goodness. And why did she inspire you so much? Because she saw something in me that has changed my life. Mm. And I just think that's really important for teachers to encourage kids because you never know where life will take them. Some teachers, some teachers have really disappointed kids and told them they wouldn't be anything. And some people 
chose the opposite, which is to find something that that kid is good at and just encourage them. And if that teacher didn't tell me to come to acting classes after school, so I have somewhere to put my energy, who knows what what, what I would have become or what I would have done. Were you always good at acting? Did you find you had a natural ability? I would like to say I was always good at acting. I mean, the way people responded to me, even at a young age, like I would walk into an audition and then they'd be like, where's your mom? And I'm like, huh? And they're like, oh, we need to like sign her up like today. <laughs> Bless you. Is, is there any actresses when you were growing up which you were particularly inspired by or who thought, I want to be just like that or I want to do those roles? Naomi Harris inspired me a lot. Um, I loved her roles in movies like um, Small Island and Poppy Shakespeare. There's like an old school Channel 4 thing that she did that was brilliant. Yeah, she was really a big inspiration for me when I was starting up. And you enrolled as a student at the Identity School of Acting, which was a part-time drama school Yeah. at age 16. How did that experience shape you or, or what was that like? It was cool. It inspired me to just you know, learn new techniques for acting. I made a lot of lifelong friends that I'm still friends with now. And it was a great way for me to just move forward and do what I do now. Were you doing that alongside school? Yes, I was. I was doing alongside school and alongside working as well, like being on set and and doing that. Yeah. Can you talk to me about how you got into acting? So kind of how you landed your first on-screen appearance? Yeah, I just auditioned. I just um, made a like a CV. I haven't said that word in a long time. Um, <laughs> I made a CV. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, just put all of the, the, the plays that I did in primary school and secondary school together. And I sent it to casting directors and agents and I just I looked at the kids in Tracy Beaker or Dumping Ground or whatever and I was just like how did they get an agent and I just went and researched them and found you know at the time it was A&J management so I went on A&J management and I asked if I could audition and they said yes and then I just did I just researched the steps in which I needed to take to make my dreams a reality and then I did it I just I just went out and did it. And did you say you were working as well whilst you were trying to get into the industry? Yeah, I was doing like, <laughs> I was doing all sorts to get like money for headshots. I was selling catalogues and I don't know, I have a book to write in the future, so I'm not going to give you everything. But I was doing a bunch, trying to just hustle and like make money to like, you know, provide for my for my headshots and stuff. But thankfully, it all worked out. So I don't have to do, don't have to, I don't have to um, buy headshots anymore. I'm so grateful because they're freaking expensive. (laughs) How did those around you react to your dream of becoming an actress? You know, were your family incredibly supportive? Were they happy about that decision? At first, they were a bit like, they're a bit like, wait, what is this? Like, why are you doing this? How is this going to make you any money? But they were kind enough to just see the way I loved it and just kept supporting me. And it was until I was on Hobie City that everybody kind of like left me to it. 
Yeah. Like, Hobie City, like, oh, wow. Okay, she, she, has, she has some talent. <laughs> Hobie City and then Top Boy with your early on-screen appearances. What was it like seeing yourself on screen for the first time? It was really weird. I was really self-conscious. I was like, oh my God, I look like that. But I quickly realised that you have to just come out of your own head and just make it about the work. And once I saw like Viola Davis and like the way that she just, just gets into the work, you know, and she just, she just works really hard. And it's not about vanity. It's just about the art. Really just taught me that at a young age to focus on the art. How did you find being on set for the first time? What was that experience like? It was cool. I feel like I would research. I would look at like B-roll on YouTube of like other films to see what it was like to be on set. I would hear like the way the the cameraman would like shout at the actors and stuff and or the AD and stuff like, yo, rolling sound. And I was like, oh, wow, like that's what they're doing. So when I got on set, it was nice to feel like a little bit familiar with what was going on. But my first time on set was on a film called Victim. Um, that I did with David Harewood and um, Adam Deacon and Ashley Chin, Michael Maris. It was just like a first, a first experience for me, but really a good one because I got to play a character I really liked. And then yeah, I got to learn so much about what it meant to be on set, like, you know, a lot. So that was a great experience. In the years that followed, you went on to appear in an episode of Doctor Who as a reoccurring character on the series Humans. You performed in a play at London Gates Theatre. What was it like breaking into acting? And there is also, I guess, often an uncertainty. I think Dame Judi Dench said recently that even she is always concerned that she's never going to land another role, which obviously for her, you think, come on. Did you ever have kind of a backup plan or a plan B? Oh, yeah, I thought I needed a backup plan um, because that's what everyone told me. Um, Have a backup plan. So I thought I thought I'll try to be like a lawyer or a scientist or and then I realized early on that I didn't really like the backup plans because the backup plan was already trying to like tell me like I was going to fail at plan A. So I just kind of just made like a decision that my backup plan will just be my plan A. And I just, I just put a lot of faith in it because that's what really, what I really love acting, and that's what makes me happy. So, and when I do it, I feel like I'm fulfilling my purpose, and there's no better feeling than that. So I stayed, I stayed with what I knew, and um, and I did it, yeah. And it's paid off. Thank you. It has. It has. You didn't need a plan B. That is for sure. Yeah, thank you. That is okay. We're going to move on now to our music quiz round. So I'm going to play you three theme tunes. um, And then if you would like to guess, this is number one. Uh, uh, I can make no Wow, what a great theme song. Like, that was encouraging me from a young age. Big up Tracy Beaker, big up Dumping Ground, big up BBC, CBB, CBB, CBBC. Just big up everyone. <laughs> okay, number two. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Come on, man. This is too easy. 
Okay. Number three. Let's go. You could get into the future. Raven, that's a Raven. <laughs> I've gone too easy. Okay, I'm going to do a fourth one. This is number four. Oh my Any god. Ideas? Is it a British TV show? It's American. American. It's a uh, teenage kind of show. Teenage kind of show? Um, I no, went from I'm too not... easy to too hard. Yeah, yeah. What's this one? I <laughs> don't was, know this one. It was One Tree Hill. One Tree Hill? Mm-mm. You miss me with that one. I don't know. I'm Not sorry, one. one Tree. I'm sorry to One Tree Hill. <laughs> I apologise. Um, <laughs> this one is a Netflix show, and um, it's got a very, very big following. Okay. The animals. The animals. Tap tap tap. And the cages full. The cages full. Orange is the new black. Best TV show. Everyone is waiting, waiting on you. Okay, I'm not going to sing because you actually have a good voice. And um, I don't want listeners to stop listening to that. Um, well, Letitia, I have to say that not only did you get four out of five in the music round, you are by far the best guest that we've had on for the music round and you gave it a lot of energy. Thank you. Now, back to career questions. You turned heads in Hollywood with your leading role in Urban Hymn in 2015. It's a film set against the backdrop of the North London riots in 2011 and you play Jamie, a disenfranchised teenager. What drew you to that project and story? Well, the first thing that drew me to it was the director, really. I wanted to work with someone that worked with Leonardo and gave pretty much Leonardo like the first big break, really. And I wanted to learn what it felt like to be a lead actress. And that was a, a great opportunity to do that. And I like the, the transition of the character. She has an arc. She starts off one way and she ends another way. And I really like that. Was it after that film that more opportunities started to open up for you? Yes, uh, I would say that it definitely allowed my career to take another step forward. It allowed me to get a an American agent at the time and that opened me up to more opportunities and the opportunity to audition for Black Panther so everything kind of has a domino effect right did you always have the intention of kind of going across the waters and and going to LA and or going to America yeah I mean America is like the mecca of 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 our entertainment industry so it was only a matter of time before I wanted to come back into go go over there and 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 experience what it's like to audition and try out for roles. Thankfully, thankfully, it happened for me in a softer, gentler way where I didn't have to go and spend weeks and weeks like auditioning. I just I just focused on being the best I could be in Britain, and that allowed me to audition and send tapes to America. And if it, if any of the tapes were of major interest 
for the studios and the people that saw it, they would fly you to audition again. And that's what happened for me in Black Panther. They were like, they were like, who is this amazing young girl flyer over here? And I got to meet Chad, I got to meet Ryan, and I got to book the part, like, in real time. It's just another lifestyle, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah, but one I'm grateful for. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to be a part of. In terms of Black Panther, you've received global acclaim for the for the first film and now Wakanda Forever. What does that story mean to you? And how does it feel to be part of that Marvel universe? It feels really good. It's one of my most proud films and, and franchises. I'm not really like a like a huge invested person in like superhero movies and stuff like that. I'm more of like an indie kid, but I but I but I love the adventures of you know going to see a good Star Wars and you know a, a good you know uh, I love the Thor kind of like uh, series of films. I just love going to see them and I never thought I would ever be a part of them because mm. those movies seem so big and wide and you never think that you would ever get the opportunity. But when this came about, what I loved on top of it being such a box office opportunity of reaching the masses mm. was just the, the ways in which the story is just so impactful. The integrity of the storyline, the integrity of the characters, the ways in which it moves you, it's kind of different to what we've seen out there so I really love this franchise and I'm and the more we do them the more we do these movies especially Black Panther um franchise uh movies the more I realize how beautiful it is to be a part of it it really is one of a kind and really a special I would be super jealous if I wasn't a part of it I, I would yeah I'm so grateful to be a part of it what do you think that Black Panther does that perhaps other Marvel movies don't? That's hard to say because I feel like all Marvel movies are very unique and very special in their own way. But particularly because I'm so used to this sequence of films, it's just we, we get to tell another side of the Marvel Universe that maybe the other films don't get to. And we contribute to the magnitude of, of what that Marvel Cinematic Universe is. So when you look into a universe, there's there's different stars, there's different planets. And we're just one of those little planets that's in that big universe, just trying to tell good stories and contribute to making it a global box office success every year, which they seem to keep doing, which is amazing. And it's such a wonderful celebration of culture. And also I felt, particularly when I watched the film, of sisterhood and womanhood. And that really, mm -hmm. I think, emanates from the film. Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's from the start as well. Like the first film, T'Challa surrounded himself with incredible women. The people in the council, the, the, the ratio of men to women was quite low, you know, if that's, you know, the women were higher. You know, he had his mom, mining tribe, merchant tribe. These were all women. There's, and then his sister doing his technology, head of the, of, of his army, um, Dora Malaje a woman, you know. So we started that in the first film and it's only right for us to continue it in the second one. Yeah. And there's so many people who will be watching those films and feeling, you know, and as women as well, watching those films and seeing themselves represented, which is really nice. Yeah, it's important. It's it's time for us to feel included and and 
and have equality on the screen is, is time. Yeah. Um, and another strong role that you have is you appeared in Steve McQueen's small acts episode, Mangrove, which follows the 1971 trial of the Mangrove Nine. That series by McQueen was revolutionary in depicting stories that are often neglected in mainstream media. And he did it with such finesse and tenderness and beauty. What was it that made you want to be involved in that project? Oh, firstly, working with Steve McQueen. And then secondly, I saw, yeah, I saw like an ad for it. When I say an ad, it's just like, kind of like the industry's way of telling you that something's about to come come out. I saw that in like 2015. And I saw that he was focusing on the lives of Caribbean people and people from Africa, you know, coming into the UK and like d- just the, the ways in which they had to survive. And I thought that was so incredible and I wanted to be a part of it. So I was kind of like manifesting it for, for many years now, like just thinking on it, praying on it, like, wow, like I hope this Steve McQueen thing gets an audition for it at least. And um, the story, I received the story whilst I was taking a break um, from promoting Black Panther 1 I went to Trinidad and Tobago and the character that I play is from Trinidad. So I thought that was quite interesting. And I read the script and I I read the background of it and I just thought, this is something that's, it's right up my, it's right up my street. Like it's really impactful and it has purpose and I really wanted to work with Steve. So I got to tick all those boxes. I want to come on now to talk about The Silent Twins, which I saw on Friday and I thought it was deeply affecting, incredibly powerful. And for those who don't know, it follows the lives of June and Jennifer Gibbons. Um, can you tell us what the story is about? Yeah, it, it follows the life of twin sisters, June and Jennifer Gibbons. And we see the ways in which they were ostracised by society and it caused them to remain silent. They created this rich inner world that was just focusing on themselves and how they were surviving those parts of, of, of society and life that's just, that kind of disappointed them and how they they just went on this journey of wanting to be writers and we see the ways in which society failed them and unfortunately they were they were sectioned to Broadmoor and, and, and locked away for 11 years and, and our story, our film explores the ways in which that rich inner life, you know, that they wrote down in their diaries our story and our film explores that in a deeper way for our audiences to understand them a little bit more Mm. and to see the ways in which it was an injustice for them to be locked away. Yeah. Did you know anything about The Silent Twins before coming across this project? Yeah, I knew a little bit. I saw a documentary on YouTube of June and that's the character that I play or the woman that I represent, shall I say. It's weird saying character when you're playing a real person. Yeah. But yeah, I saw her speak about her sister and her experience and I just I just thought it was really it was really moving and really brave of her to share her side of the story. And that's how I first knew about it and then and then I thought this would make a brilliant film and then it came about. Yeah. What responsibility did you feel towards playing somebody who is a real life person and someone mm. who is still alive? It's a big responsibility. It's like my third time doing it. I did it with a character called, or a young lady, shall I say, a young woman called Amal for Glasgow Girls. I did it for Althea Jones-Laquant in uh, Small Axe. 
and now again for June, Gibbons and Silent Twins. And it it's a big responsibility more than playing a character that is not based on a real person. Well, all my characters I have a big responsibility with, but more so a real person that's also still alive because you want them to feel represented and you don't want to disappoint them in your portrayal of their story. Yeah. So it comes with the territory. How did you research for the role? Did you kind of have any contact with June? Did you get to see the twins' diaries or anything like that? Yeah, definitely got to see the twins' diaries. Definitely did extensive research into the book. Spoke to the writer of the book, who's very close with June even to this day. So got to have a bit of communication via the writer to June, in a sense, to let her know that we're making the film and she's welcome to see it if she wants to. And just keeping it nice and private for her too, because it's really traumatic to go through that experience. And for anyone that hasn't watched the film yet, that's listening to this, please skip over about 10 seconds so you don't have a spoiler. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, okay, you've had your time. Uh, <laughs> uh, skip now or forever hold your peace. Yeah, just losing her sister, you know, um, is still a very traumatic thing to go through. So understandably, you wouldn't be... You, you'd have a little bit of a wariness as to why a film crew wants to do a film about you. But once the feedback from Marjorie, who's also a, an executive producer who also knows the twins very well and wrote the book about their diaries and stuff, gave that feedback to June. There there, there was a, an exchange of positivity and just like a calmness from her side of things. That's like, oh, you're really trying to do this story justice and, and represent us in the right way. So that felt good to hear that feedback. Yeah. And you say it there and it's so true because in the film, you really get the sense of the, these twins are so entwined their bodies are in complete synchronicity. They move in the same way. Their gestures are indistinguishable. How did you and Tamara Lawrence, who plays Jennifer, go about emulating that an emotional bond and the physicality? Yeah, it was really hard. But man, you had to like put yourself to the side because we have our own individual techniques of how we get into characters. But we had to lean on our crew. We had to lean on our accent coach Hazel Holder we had to lean on our movement coach Kaya we had to lean on the research and everything that we knew about them and just allow that to be like embedded in our bodies and just it just took a lot of work we did like a year's worth of research together during the lockdown before we had to go and film so we would be on zoom sessions like every week working and like meeting up and trying to talk through the characters and stuff like that so we did the work, really. We put in the work and we we just studied them. We mm. studied them in a way that allowed us to just, for us to embody them and the, 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 the essence of who they were and not just um, a mediocre portrayal of them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you spoke about it kind of at the beginning and I'd like to go back to it, but there's a lot out there that suggests healthcare fails women and also especially those from ethnic minorities. And the film also shines a light on the adultification of young black girls. And the twins yeah. were the youngest Broadmoor patients at 19 years old. And I think they were 12 years younger than any other patient in Broadmoor yeah. at that time. Can we talk about that more? You know, what the film unpicks and what the film is, is saying and showing about the healthcare system and also the judicial system. 
Yeah, I mean, one thing is, because we're also producers on it, myself and Tamara, alongside the team at Focus and 42 and Mandas, um, it was very important for us to not make a film that would point the finger and say this bad, this bad, this group of people are bad or this institution is bad. And we didn't want that because healthcare is, there are people in, in the healthcare service, services that are, that are extremely amazing and extremely needed and do the job very well. We just wanted to showcase this particular situation that unfortunately happens way too often. Um, and we wanted to showcase the ways in which these girls were failed by the society that and the and the community that they that they that they grew up in. Um, everything you said is 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 exactly that the adultification of these two young black girls at the age of like eighteen, like going into Broadmoor when they just needed and for juvenile behavior, like stealing pencils and pens and a doll and some. Um, you know, chocolate, chocolates and a headphone and more pencils. And the fire was definitely wrong. It wasn't the right thing for them to do. But these are all like juvenile, you know, community service, slap on the wrist type of situations. Not not approving it, but saying that there is, there's a way in which you could um, discipline and 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 I don't think Broadmoor was the right way, so I think it's just us. This this movie sh- just shines a light on the ways in which you can misunderstand an individual and put them into a situation that actually is more detrimental than helping them. You know, you took away like their twenties, you took away like eleven years of their life, and you kept keep you kept them there year after year after year and they kept asking when are we leaving they kept asking to leave and you wouldn't let them and you misdiagnosed them so I just I feel like it's just important for us to see this story because it could educate people also in the present and in the future to make sure that we know what we're doing before we we put people away um that don't deserve to be treated like that it's a big topic it's 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 extensive but we just wanted to we just wanted to shine a light on the ways it was an injustice and we just don't want it to happen again to anyone else. Yeah. And you said in a recent interview that you were working with a team that were really open but really sensitive to the fact that they didn't know what it meant to be a young black woman in Wales in the eighties. Yeah. And I wondered if you could talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um we have a predominantly Polish team. They have the right heart and the right care for the story, the director responsible for, you know, the team that she she feels would execute the the the, the vision that she has. Because myself and Tamara trust trust her and spoke with her extensively about the role and and one thing we really appreciated was the fact that she was very very aware and not ashamed to 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 admit that she didn't know some of the ways in which the twins were going through certain situations as black girls in Wales and she leaned on us to to educate and I think it's better to to have that type of collaborative connection where you educate instead of someone going off and trying to pretend that they know it when they don't 
Mm. And that was really good for us to to connect as a team and just, yeah, just to talk and collaborate in a way that was healthy. Yeah. And how did you kind of switch off at the end of the day? Because I'm sure that role required mm. intense you know, commitment and dedication yeah. and concentration. You know, how hard mm. is it to switch off after after being so present? Yeah, it was really hard to switch off, not going to lie. Carry it home with you. And because myself and Tamara, we had to do, like, deep work, you know. We just kept working, like, even when the day was wrapped up, we would be with our scripts just going through the lines and doing research and watching movies and just do, watching documentaries. We're just committed, like, pretty much the whole time to the twins and it was the least that we could do because if they spent 11 years going through that going through that for for four months it's not as close to what they they had to experience so it was a sacrifice that we made for them to dedicate like pretty much every hour of the day to them except for days where we had days off and we needed to go take a walk through the mountains and just like breathe Mm. what have you taken away from that film oh it left me with a lot really um but I would say what comes to mind is just how important it is not to um misunderstand people and just the importance of just loving people where they're at and just not jumping to conclusions about what you think they need and and just being careful you know how you treat people especially when it comes to like mental health like it's really important for us to be very sensitive and caring about how we treat each other yeah. Well, Letitia, thank you so much for joining me on View From My Sofa. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. You guys are really, really great. Thanks for listening to View From My Sofa. If you want to hear more from Radio Times, don't miss our Smart TV podcast in which we tell you what shows to watch this week and one to avoid. And if you want to read more interviews with the stars of the small screen, don't forget to pick up your copy of Radio Times out every Tuesday. That's all. Thanks for listening.